Welcome to the Hyphenated Nation, the show that explores how our identities shape the way we see the world and experience life. I am your host, Hannah Lin, and I am a 1.5 generation Chinese Canadian. Today, I have Melanie here with me. She is a registered social worker and psychotherapist with both BSW and MSW degrees. Uh, BSW stands for Bachelor of Social Work and MSW stands for Master of Social Work. Last March, she started operating her own private practice and also works as a consultant for a number of nonprofit organizations doing research, evaluation, and grant writing. Let's welcome Melanie. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Melanie and I know each other from our Bachelor of Social Work programs. She's always been so innovative in creating space for her professional work. I'm so glad to have you here uh, with me on the show today. What is your hyphenation and what is something you would like people to know about you? You know, it's such an interesting question. And I feel like when I was preparing for this interview, it made me think, huh, who am I? I had to like really think about it. Who am I as a person and what would I share in terms of what my hyphenation is? So I guess starting off with just the basics, I'm a white cisgendered female. Um, by the time this airs, I'm going to be 30 years old, which is kind of scary, um, but mm-hmm. kind of exciting at the same time to be entering a new phase in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, my cultural background on my mom's side, I'm English and German, but I'm also like fifth generation Canadian. So I'm pretty, pretty separate from my cultural background at this point. Uh, I grew up in a small town, and that's kind of my connection to culture at this point, which is super interesting, by the way. Even in southwestern Ontario, there's a whole accent that goes to, like, small rural towns, which I have spent a long time learning how to cover up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If you've ever, okay, I always tell people, if you've ever watched the show Letterkenny, that's my accent. It's it's hilarious. It's funny. Um, Check it out. (laughs) And then I guess like the last couple of things, I'm a domestic violence survivor. I live with an invisible disability and I'm a small business owner. That's wonderful. I'm so glad um, you shared so many diverse um, just areas, characteristics that define who you are as a person. I think sometimes when I ask this question, people stick to, you know, they're comfortable. They stick to like where they're from, um, if they're second generation, first generation immigrants and you know, their gender, their sex, but rarely do they talk about things like having a disability, surviving abuse. I think those make you very unique. And I think um, for the long time I've known you, you've always been so strong and just advocate for what you stand for. So thank you for being open and sharing that with me. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that um, I had to get really comfortable with being able to share, especially the stuff about disability. Honestly, that's something that I've only started really identifying with recently, even Mm -hmm. though I've had that disability for a long time at this point. But it's something that I had to become comfortable with and it's getting a lot easier. And I'm glad that I'm able to come to like shows like this and talk to people like you who are so welcoming and make it comfortable to be able to share that kind of identity. Mm -hmm. And I think as women, not to say this is the reason why completely, but like, I think for myself, I definitely have um, been told, you know, directly or indirectly that I had to be a certain way, behave certain way. And that if I had something that was um, quote unquote abnormal, then I would need to conceal myself and make sure that I seem professional and make sure I'm seem approachable. And so that in itself has been detrimental to actually my own mental health and so many other things, because I can't, I don't feel like sometimes I could be my 
authentic self. And I'm really encouraging people to do that through the show because I want to create this platform for people to feel comfortable and just come as they are because um, discrimination, I'm hoping discrimination is not present here on this platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely an intimidating thing, especially in a professional environment to walk in and be able to really be your authentic self. Um, It's Mm -hmm. something that Again, I had to get really comfortable with because I'm sure your listeners will see if they also follow you on Instagram and you show like a picture of my face advertising this, but I have a massive tattoo across my chest. And so automatically when I walk into a professional environment, I'm kind of at, I don't want to say a disadvantage, but for a long time, it felt like a disadvantage because I had displayed across my chest, something that made me stand out from everyone else. And not always in a way that was perceived by others as being a good way to stand out. Even though I love my tattoo, I think it's fantastic. Mm. But in a professional environment, people didn't always perceive that as something that was professional. Yeah. Does that, I'm just curious, does that deter you or make decisions harder for you now that you're deemed as, you know, a professional? Um, Because for me, I remember when I was going through my undergrad, I seriously considered getting some face piercings um, on my nose. And I was thinking, would this make me look unprofessional? Would this deter, like what people um, kind of say like, oh, she doesn't look the part and therefore I could lose an opportunity. How do you deal with that now? Because you seem very confident in your own skin. You definitely um, take every opportunity, I think, to show off your tattoos. And I think they look great. So what do you think about that now? It hasn't been a problem for a long time, but it definitely was at the beginning of my career. So I've been working in social services for about 10 years now, and I got my first tattoo when I was 16. So I've had them for a long time. And I used to cover them up before going into any sort of job interview. So I would always wear like shirts that covered everything, uh, long pants, because I also have tattoos all the way down onto my feet as well. And yeah, it felt really awkward going into those interviews because I did feel like I was hiding something about myself. And I was always kind of afraid that, oh, it's going to come out and they're going to fire me. So I have to keep them covered for that like three month probation period just to make sure. And at some point, I actually don't remember when it was, but at some point I just went, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. If they don't want me here because of my tattoos, then I probably don't want to work there. And now I make sure that anytime I go into any job interview, I wear a shirt that shows my chest tattoo Mm -hmm. because I don't want to work there if they're not going to accept it. And in the last few years, I don't think it's been a problem. There was one job I had while I was in my undergrad, actually, where the tattoos were not accepted. And I actually ended up being fired from that job, not yeah. officially because of the tattoos, but for, for lots of reasons. They didn't really want me there. I don't know why they hired me, actually. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that you've had you know problems like that in the past. I'm glad that you feel comfortable showing off your tattoos because I think they look great. I think um, it really shows that you're comfortable being who you are. And I think it's good that you're showing that right off the bat in the interview, because this is something I've been thinking about recently as I'm preparing for my next job is that do I go in sharing everything about myself and in hopes that they accept me and they like me and they think that I will be a good fit for the team? Or do I continue to conceal like I have in the past God knows how many years, just so that I could get a job. So it's definitely very inspiring to hear um, your story about just showing up as you are and being accepted because I think you've gone a long way in your own career. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations on your MSW, by the way. 
I'm really, I'm really lucky though, because I have some privilege in that circumstance because I can take a risk at this point on whether or not I want to work in a new job. I'm not in a place where if I didn't have a job tomorrow, I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. I have, you know, safety net. So Mm -hmm. that's hard. It's a hard question for people, especially new grads who are coming out with a ton of debt and, you know, needing to even maybe be on their own for the first time. It's hard to take that risk and to come in authentically as yourself if you know that that might mean that you don't get the job. So I'm really privileged in that case. And also I started my own business too. So I decided to hire me. So I want to ask you, what? tell me about your journey and what led you to, you know, being your own boss and starting your own business. Yeah. So it is kind of an interesting story. So I have kind of two separate businesses that I have run, one being a consultant and the other um, operating private practice where I offer psychotherapy services. Mm-hmm. So the consulting has actually existed for a few years now. And it came up because uh, a colleague of mine wanted to subcontract some work to me. And we just wanted to make sure that it was like all on the up and up and I'd be able to claim taxes and everything. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's super easy to start a business um, if you're not actually intending on making a ton of money because you can just register with the government for like $60. Yeah. Um, and then you just need to make sure you keep track of all of your expenses and, and income in order to Um, pay taxes and everything at the end of the year. So really that business started just because I just wanted to do some subcontracting work and I did it and then just kind of forgot about it until last, not last January, but January of 2020, which is when I no longer had a full-time job. My contract ended. I needed to do something on my own. An opportunity came up to act as a, as a consultant for a fair amount of money um, comparable to what I was making in my full-time job. And I went, well, okay, I guess I'm going to take it then, Uh, which is a good thing that I did because as of like that March, of course, it was really hard for everyone to find jobs. So again, my timing was very lucky. Mm -hmm. And I actually started my private practice at the beginning of the pandemic. And it's because I kind of panicked about money. It's like, I'm not making quite as much as I was before. My expenses have gone up. My partner is a bartender and a server. So obviously that was no longer really a thing. We were unsure about all of the government assistance stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of panicked and I went, well, I need another source of income. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Take a moment to share a screenshot of the show with me on Instagram at the hyphenated nation and you will be featured in the stories. I'm gonna start a private practice feels like people need mental health support right now so that's what I'm going to do and and that's how I started it and yeah that's how I ended up where I am now mostly working for myself it really shows that you're able to identify a niche and a need in terms of what is being asked right now from um, you know the organizations from the general public what is the demand and you're able to pinpoint that like for example at the start of pandemic you know people are Some of them are severely burned out because of their work. Some of them are distressed because loss of work. And I think it was very courageous of you to actually start your own business and jump into, you know, um, counseling, doing counseling and helping people. Do you find that it's impacted you? Because, you know, that's something I often think about is 
do I want to do another direct service, like client service job? Do I want to put myself in a situation where my mental health may be at stake while I'm assisting other people's mental health? Um, so how do you keep level-headed? How do you um, help yourself during that process? Yeah, that's a really good question. At the beginning of the pandemic, it was really, really difficult, um, especially because my living situation at that time, I was living in a basement apartment, which is terrible for mental health like to begin with. But then also being stuck there, you know, 24-7, basically, during the lockdown, mm -hmm. it was really bad on my mental health. It was really, really hard. And I had these people coming to me in my practice who I was, you know, providing these counseling services for. And they were asking me, you know, what do I do? I'm struggling so much in this pandemic. Like, my mental health is declining. I don't know how to cope with this. Mm -hmm. you know, what should I do? And I was sitting there like, man, I don't know like my mental health isn't great right now. How, mm -hmm. how am I supposed to support people with something that I'm currently struggling with as well? So that was a really hard thing to do. And it did take making like a few changes in my life. Like I don't live in that basement apartment anymore. I couldn't stay there any longer. I had to make the choice to move into a place that had windows and I'm much happier here now. So it was making really deliberate choices in my life to make sure that I'm doing things that are going to be supportive to me because I can't really help people if I'm also experiencing issues with my mental health at the same time. And that's not to say you can't still be struggling with things like, again, mm -hmm. we're all struggling during the pandemic and it would be unreasonable to say to a therapist that you must be fully coping and absolutely 100% on your mental health game in order to be able to help people during the pandemic. Like that's unreasonable. Nobody can do that. Mm -hmm. But you do have to be actively working on your mental health in order to be able to support other people. So yeah, for me, it's just making deliberate choices to make sure that that I'm supporting myself as well. Yeah, I never realized how my environment impacts me and my mental health until 2020 and this year. And so I, because I was prepping to go back to doing school, I had to make those choices like yourself to move out of the situation I was in, to get my own place with my partner. Um, and so I could have that privacy and I also could have that space where I could feel there's peace and quiet. I could do what I like and focus on school or work, whatever the case is. So I think it's great that you were able to move out of the basement apartment and find yourself in a better space. I'm just curious, Melanie, when you talked about you had to make those choices during the pandemic or the beginning of the pandemic um, to one, support yourself, but also two, to support potentially your partner. And how is that being... I'm assuming because your partner is a bartender, maybe he um, lost his work temporarily. What was that like for you to be um, the sole income person in the relationship? Was that a lot of pressure? And how did you deal with the fact that, you know, this may pro be prolonged longer than we expected? Yeah, it was a lot of pressure. It was, yeah, just a lot of pressure. Um, it made me really, really have to consider carefully Mm -hmm. the choices that I was going to make in terms of my income. I constantly second guess myself on whether or not starting a business was the right thing, or if I should return to a more traditional job. I was constantly looking on like Indeed to see mm -hmm. if there were other jobs available, if I should apply for them, what I should do. I was very, very unsure of my decision. Yeah. It was really helpful that my partner was super supportive. He really believed in me, I think, in moments when I didn't believe in myself. 
Mm -hmm. uh, he really encouraged me to stick with the business and said, you know, you're good at what you do. You have great skills. People are recognizing it. People are seeking you out for these services. You need to stick with it. And so he was a huge support to me in being able to continue um, because I don't know what I would have done if he hadn't been as supportive. I probably wouldn't be in this position that I'm in now with you know, my very successful business and mm -hmm. being very happy with the work that I'm doing. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. Do you think that this is a trajectory of your career? Will you ever return to a regular nine to five? Or do you think now that you've gotten yourself established, this is the route you're hoping to take? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I'm not 100% sure. I think that this is my trajectory for now, for sure. Mm -hmm. I can't really see myself ending my private practice, although I don't do that full time. And I honestly, I can't see myself doing it full time either. It's really hard doing that kind of work, you know, five sessions a day. It would be very difficult for me, I think. I prefer keeping my small caseload and doing other things on the side. In terms of returning to like a nine to five though, I honestly, I can't see myself doing it in the foreseeable future. Before I had started the businesses when I was working a traditional full-time job, I didn't like it. I liked the job, I liked the work, I liked the people, but I didn't like being chained to that structure. Mm -hmm. I like being able to work when I feel like it and take time off when I feel like it and you know, make my own deadlines, structure my own day. I didn't really like having to sit in an office for eight hours a day. So mm -hmm. even if I return to a more traditional job, I don't think it would be a Monday to Friday, nine to five kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I totally feel you. And I think I'm on that fence of like, should I jump into a nine to five? Do I continue doing that and look for jobs that way? Or do I try to take a route that feels more natural to me, uh, a route where I could control my hours and work where I'm most, you know, energized and then take the rest of the day to do other things. I think there is, um, I heard somewhere that we're moving towards this gig economy where people um, participate in different variety of gigs or project-based work in order to sustain themselves. And I think that's very interesting um, because we've been stuck in a nine to five or that it's almost a glorified, right? Like the nine to five, oh, you have a nine to five job. That's wonderful. You have a stable income. That means you have benefits. But I think now more and more um, people like us were able to, you know, find our own path and just make it work. Um, what would be one piece of advice you would give to people when, you know, they're looking to set up their own business, especially in counseling and coaching? Yeah. I think you're right about the moving towards more of a gig economy. I think that a lot of people are finding that it works better with their lives. Mm -hmm. It sucks that we don't have benefits when we're working in jobs like this. My hope would be that the government would just be able to start you know, providing you know, prescription coverage as well as mm -hmm. dental coverage, and then that wouldn't be an issue anymore. But in terms of advice that I would have for people, I would say do your research. Do your research, make sure that you really know your target demographic for who you're going to be like looking to to serve, um, whether it's going to be through counseling or, you know, consulting the way I do, do your research, find out what the niche is and how you can fill it. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you necessarily want to jump into super fast. I know I did. Um, I wouldn't really recommend that. It was very, very high stress. And it took quite a while for me to really get it off the ground. 
So I would say, yeah, do your research, make sure that you're fitting into your niche and make sure that it's something that you really want to do. I think that people who just jump right into a business without really considering that might end up doing work that's kind of unsatisfying to them. And so making sure that you really know what you're going to be doing, how you want to do it and who you're going to be serving, I think is really important when you're thinking about starting a new business. Yeah, that's a really good tip. I think, you know, in that, in doing research, it's about also setting up boundaries because it's very easy for people to ask for more than what we can deliver. And that can lead to a cycle of unhealthy, just overworking and and things like that. We're doing work that, like you said, we don't enjoy or we don't want to be doing. Um, So I think it's also in, in the research part, finding our niche, you know, seeing what our boundaries are and be able to say no. I think sometimes when we're new to the business, maybe we want to be more flexible and end up doing things that really aren't helpful in our career or personal development. Um, And just being careful of that, Um, especially if the person has, you know, like like yourself, the expertise and experience, you know, to be able to set up a business that really speaks to who you are and the work you do is more important than I think maybe making that extra 50 bucks at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I did make a mistake with as well when I first started really getting into my consulting too. Um, Because they said I do research evaluation and grant writing for nonprofits. Mm -hmm. But right at the beginning when I was looking for organizations to work with, I ended up working with a for-profit organization. Mm -hmm. And they were great. They were so nice. And they had a really great idea. And I really enjoyed working with them. But it wasn't my niche. And I felt like I didn't really enjoy the work as much and that I didn't do the best work for them either because it wasn't my niche. So yeah. definitely do that research and, and it's okay to say no to some things, absolutely. Yeah, okay, that concludes our formal interview. Um, thank you for answering all my questions. Now we're moving on to our lightning rounds and I have a couple of questions for you. Um, the first one is, what is, your one re- what is one resource you would recommend for career development? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't even know about career development. That's a really hard one. I'd say that any sort of continuing education is really important though. Um, One of the things that I'm doing right now for my private practice is I'm taking a certificate program through U of T to get a specialization in dialectical behavior therapy. And it's something that I felt really strongly about, something that I wanted to do. So I don't know if I have a specific resource that I would recommend to people, but taking advantage of any sort of learning opportunity, I feel like it expands your horizons and it it expands your knowledge. It's going to help you develop your career no matter what. Yeah, I like that. And my last question to you is, what is one thing you have to have in your work from home setup? That's a great question too. I have a terrible work from home setup right now. It's not super comfortable. It's not great. Um, It's something that I didn't invest in until very recently. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's made my life, you know, not great because I have to sit in this chair at this workspace for like at least eight hours a day. And so I recently started getting more set up and because of the type of work that I do, not necessarily in my practice, but in my, um, in my consulting, I do a lot of math and spreadsheets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I recently got uh, dual monitors so that I'm able to like see multiple things at the same time. I'm really excited about that. So that's something that I'm going to definitely be doing more of is investing in my workspace. That and a cup of tea. It's always yeah. <laughs> a cup of tea sitting next to me. There's one there right now. 
Yeah, love that. Well, thank you so much, Melanie, for joining me on the show. For all of our listeners, I will be tagging all of her Instagram accounts, website, and our show notes as well. So please go ahead and check it out. Um, Thank you again for joining me on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you haven't already, please take a moment to leave a review and a rating. If you're a fan of the show and want to get involved, check out the Google form document in the show notes. See you next time.